Hello, Hello. and welcome everyone on the barricades. Uh, Maria, please go ahead and you do the introduction this time around. <laughs> so this is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics. I'm glad to see you all again. I'm glad to have the opportunity to speak to you. Uh, this is the 28th of April. And as Boyan said, I think it is important to let you know when we are recording this segment of our show and it is important uh, because there are so many events taking place and unfortunately the world has gone mad and we have the war after the pandemic and everything can change from one day to another there are a whole series of events and we don't have the resources to comment every day uh, of course, we need your support. And if you like, you can make generous donations and we will gladly do political yeah. commentary all day long. 24-7, absolutely. We're going to be there for you. Because we like to talk and we like to discuss and to analyze things. And in the previous segment of our show, we discussed what happened in Romania. Uh, Romania, neighboring uh, Ukraine, very close to the war in Ukraine. And we discussed how the Romanian authorities tackled things related to war and to the cut of gas supply from the Russian Federation, how they tackle this whole problem. And, and now, I'd like to pick up on that, if you allow. Yes, of course. And now we are going to go to Boyan. Uh, Boyan is a Bulgarian-born Polish journalist, so he has a lot of connections uh, to Bulgaria and Poland, and he can offer a perspective on what's happening in these countries. And I'd suggest, Boyan, that we start with the cutting of the gas supply. All right. Because both of those country that you are actually connected to Bulgaria and Poland are going to have less gas right now. So what yeah. is the reaction of the authorities? Well, you know, the reaction of the authorities has been uh, disappointing, but predictable. So, uh, for example, the Polish president Andrzej Duda said he is exactly disappointed by Russia's decision, which is a very strange uh, reaction, I would say, from a politician who's supposed to be a leader of the nation. Like, what do you mean you're disappointed? How do you even have the nerve to stand in front of the society that's going to be devoid of gas and just go ahead and offer your uh, your, your opinion? Well, I'm disappointed. Well, you know what? We're, we're disappointed too. Like, we're disappointed with you being disappointed, uh, by the way. Like, this is, this is such a strange thing. You know, it speaks to the quality of leadership that we have. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, in the previous program, uh, at the end of it, you, you referred to, you know, how people are adoring Vladimir Putin and how they do that for all the wrong reasons, right? And, and, and all the rest. You know, I kind of, I, I don't accept the stance of those people and this ideal, uh, idolization of Vladimir Putin and stuff like that. But I understand, I sympathize with certain reasons because people are very eager to see able leaders doing something for them. You know, there, and, and when you get the Polish president, you know, who is, uh, who is all about patriotism, tradition, you know, um, defending Poland from, uh, you know, all those alien ideas that could wreck the Polish nation, wreck the Polish tradition, colonize it with some very bad and toxic ideas from the West that are going to destroy the family and the Polish uh, statehood and all the rest of it, you know, and then. He's confronted with a problem, with a serious problem, not like, you know, an erected straw man, like, you know, the LGBT community or anything like that, which is very small in Poland and, you know, doesn't endanger anyone and anything and never, and it has never, 
been any kind of factor really uh, in in the Polish society, culture, or politics. You know, now there's a real problem, and the only thing he can say is he's disappointed. And you know, by the way, by the way, let me quote uh, yesterday. This was I even made that point on my in my Telegram channel because I thought this was really cool. So uh, the Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki. Okay, again, the strong man, you know, and the right hand of the other strong man, who is Yaroslav Kaczynski, the leader of Law and Justice Party, who is who has been pretty much the dictator of the internal political process in Poland for the last six years. You know, they they they're taking this very strong stance against Russia, and you know, they they keep repeating all those angry phrases. I'm sure Vladimir Putin can't sleep because of you know what they say about him, and so on and so forth. And and you know, they keep beating the drum of war and, and, and you know, the NATO unity, Western unity against Russia and so on and so forth. And they even try to make s- s- some, well, I don't want to say provocations, it's too big of a word, but they try to make a to stage a precedent. We're going to talk about that maybe a little later. But let me just give you the opinion of the Polish prime minister, you know, on the matter of sanctions, because the question of gas is, is part of the is part of that uh, spectrum, right? Sanctions. So he said the following yesterday. So far, we can see that Russia is unfortunately dealing quite well with these sanctions. So that's... You know, and that's I, the reason for disappointment, right? That's, yeah, that's a reason for disappointment. Uh, that, that's exactly what I wrote. I said, like, wow, it's got to be a really difficult moment for him. Like, thoughts and prayers, you know, like, <laughs> absolutely. You know, man, hold up there because... Yeah. So look, uh, now to the point, okay, like outside the humoristic framework. So, uh, you know, we do have a problem now because both of those countries, Poland and Bulgaria, they have taken a decision. Now, I do not think that it was a sovereign decision, by the way. And and uh, I, I have no, I can't prove it, but I just see no point in Bulgaria, particularly for Bulgaria, not to pay uh, for gas uh, in any way. Russia would demand, even if they demanded gold or, I don't know, Bitcoin for their gas, I think Bulgaria, it would be rational for Bulgaria to actually purchase that gas. Why is this? Well, because 90, 70 to 90, I mean, it depends, like there are different statistics, but the minimum is 70 and maximum is 90% of the Bulgar- of the gas that is used by industry and by, by, you know, the citizens, by the population in Bulgaria comes from Russia. Moreover, you know, the Bulgarian politicians, they have been singing songs about diversifying its supplies, you know, gas supplies for so long. Uh, and, and, and that, you know, when the need for this diversification and the urgency of it came to them on its own, what, did, what was their response? They responded by calling to send arms to Ukraine. Now, like, that's so smart. That's so yeah, yeah. That's exactly that, that's really going to solve. Remember yeah. that you have now in power not Boyko Borisov, the one that was the ex bodyguard of Zhivkov, yeah, and, and a gangster and a gangster, but the Harvard brothers. So they took their you know enlightenment from the West yeah. because nowadays the light comes from the West, right? In terms right. of leaders and now Absolutely. you have Maya Sandu who was educated in the United States yay and you have the and we're going to get to her problems too yeah. Yeah. and you have this um, Petkov I think is his name Kirill Petkov it? yes and uh, he's the right now he took the place of Boyko Borisov and uh, the finance minister if I'm not mistaken is Asen Vasilev yeah. 
Asana Vasilev is also from, and it is educated at Harvard. Yeah. This is what they are called, the Harvard brothers. And what did they do? Well, they decided to send arms to Ukraine. Bulgaria, yeah. who, I mean, Bulgaria is, so bizarre. is even more laughable because Bulgaria is like, you know, that country that Romanians feel good about because it's like the smaller and a little poorer sister yeah. because it always it has 10 million inhabitants. Well, we oh, no, no, it had 10 million inhabitants back in the 90s or, you know, at the break of the 90s. Oh, sorry, of the 80s. Now it has like 6 million officially. Officially. Oh, we're oh, so, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, but uh, let me let me continue if you allow this. this, this just, just for yeah. a moment, let me compute. I mean, six million inhabitants, and you send arms to Ukraine to fight against Russia. Now that that's really smart. I mean, you have to be Harvard educated to to yeah. take decisions you really like need, that, isn't yeah. it? You need you need to be Western unhinged. Like otherwise, it just does not compute, as you said. Like if you don't have this kind of thing in your brain, uh, that uh, you know that. Uh, which I don't even know what it exactly is. I mean, it's a conglomeration of things. It's, on the one hand, you have to despise Russians. You have to hate them. You have to consider Vladimir Putin like the biggest threat to your lifestyle and all the rest of it. And then you have to be PR obsessed, by the way. You know, PR obsessed. Because when you look at what the Western leaders are doing, it's exactly the opposite of what the Russians are doing. Like the Western leaders, and Ukrainian leaders, by the way, the same way. Uh, it's the same thing. Like they, they, I, I have the feeling like they are driven just by some spin doctors. Like you know that there is there is a, a PR department that walks behind them all the time and tells them do this, do that, show yourself, make a photo up there, and this is what they are achieving. Like for example, look at, you know, uh, just uh, let me digress here. The question of India, as we know, India has been. Uh, refusing consistently to, you know, demonize Russia, to support the sanctions and all the rest of it. Why? Well, because they realize they depend on Russian uh, resources, you know, and 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 there's no way for them to detach themselves from Russia, okay? So they, they ha have taken, you know, a very neutral stance. And now what are the British, the Polish, the Americans, you know, what are they doing? They keep traveling back and forth to Delhi, to New Delhi, you know, and, and uh, you know, trying to persuade India to change sides. And now let's think about it rationally for just 30 seconds. Let's just assume that India bows to that pressure, you know, and publicly says, okay, Russia's very bad. Vladimir Putin's very bad. Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. And they throw some, some a few more names at him or, or something like that. How does it change anything for me, for you, for the Polish, for the Romanian, for the French? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. I mean, would I expect a political leader, you know, regardless of whether they're right-wing or left-wing, a responsible political leader to do is to now focus on a plan. How do we survive the upcoming winter and fall and what happens next year? And as you said last uh, in the previous program, what they seem to be doing is they seem to be buying time. They buy a lot of Russian gas. They hope that uh, you know they're going to be able to uh, to base you know their survival of the fall and winter on 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 you know what they collect right now in their underground uh, silos, you know gas silos, mm -hmm. and then we'll see. That's 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 that I think is their tactic. Well, we'll see. Maybe something happens. Maybe and then you know. So that's uh, that's not responsible uh, leadership, let alone statecraft or anything like that. And and you know, I'm not going to elaborate on that. I'm going back to the question of gas and 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 Bulgaria and so on. So so the Bulgarian prime minister's uh, Bulgarian prime minister Kirill Petkov. <sighs> 
he is a very ignorant person and a very inept politician. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to, you know, uh, go like on an emo trip regarding this. Although I, I'm really, really super annoyed by this uh, persona. But what, his his I response was uh, to, to you know to this gas thing, gas stoppage, uh, was to uh, to send arms to Ukraine, and he has also launched a public campaign in which he asks Bulgarians to donate a month's salary to fund for the Ukrainian government. Now, I never imagined that I would leave Wow, this is a you see surrealism. this is why I like Bulgaria because they seem to be taking things a little you know a step closer yeah. to the edge. I mean Romanians going to let me by the way by the way I want to ask you have you to donate money the citizens the citizens of the poorest EU country you know I sometimes like joking that we should accept Moldova in the EU so that you know definitely that there is some variety at the end you know at the rear end of the EU in terms of poverty and stuff like that but anyway what what I wanted to say is that this is super absurd super stupid like you know, how can you even have the nerve? Like, what is your moral ethical stance here? If you, ha- you know, you know that your society, your state, your economy has been wrecked for the last 30 years. You know, because, you know, this is matter of public record, that your citizens have been massively flooding, uh, fleeing from your country. Okay, we're not talking just immigration. Uh, like regular immigration, like, I don't know, from Poland or from other Eastern European states, say Germany or, or I don't know, Great Britain back in the day when it was uh, part of the EU. No, no, we're talking about one third of the society lost over 30 years. So this is, this is not emigration, this is exodus. This is like something so massive that, you know. But anyway, uh, I, let me quote from this, from this leader, okay, political leader, mm-hmm. Kirill Petkov. I appeal to every Bulgarian citizen who truly wishes to assist Ukraine to donate a salary as I have done. Words <laughs> are cheap, deeds are expensive. It's time for Facebook posts to turn into funds for Ukraine. Now, I, you I, know I'm what? speechless. I, I have no words. Tell me what you think I about know, it. I know. I would suggest that this person lives in a block of flats in Sofia, like the poorest citizen with a minimum wage for at least a year. And then at the end of that year that he donates that salary, because it is only then, then the comparison, you know, will have some meaning. If you have thousands of euros coming from other sources and you say you donate your salary, you are uh, beyond hypocrite. You yeah. are almost a psychopath. I mean, yeah. you have a, a, a lack of degree of empathy that is almost pathological. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you have to live for one year of your life. That would be my punishment for this leader with, you know, a, fa- a family and have an income, you know, the minimum wage. And then 
then it is only then that you probably will, you will come to your senses because I think these people are so detached from reality. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. No, but I think you're right. I think you're right about the psychopathic element. We should. This is how we should, you know, put put his statement, you know, in writing, and then we should like put a little subtitle above it: silence, psychopath. You know, and this is like, <laughs> and then Kirill Putkov's statement. So yeah, and and uh, just uh, just a few words about um, you know about uh, the solution, okay, to this because of course the the government has been asked for a solution. So what will be done to replace Russian supplies, which account for, as I said, seventy to ninety percent of all deliveries to Bulgaria? Well, they're gonna they, they say they're gonna be using Azerbaijani gas. And, of course, of course, American uh, liquefied natural gas, which comes from uh, shelling. Uh, but that's that's a different story, which means basically we buy that gas. It's super expensive, like 10, 20 times more expensive than the Russian gas. And also at the expense of the uh, environmental destruction that uh, occurs while this gas is being, uh, I don't know, mined or extracted. So, uh, you know, I've previously stated that, by the way, uh, that, you know, they will have to put significant effort in order to get Azerbaijani gas, uh, because, you know, Azerbaijanis first must significantly increase their production, and the Bulgarians are not going to be the only ones demanding their gas. Then the Bulgarians must launch the Greek-Bulgarian interconnector. There's like this special uh, structure that allows you to receive gas uh, from other sources, which is like the Bulgarian Greek, uh, it's called IGB. I'm not sure like what what, what exactly this uh, stands for, this abbreviation stands for technologically. But, you know, uh, what is important here is that I heard back in 2018, four years ago, that this interconnector is going to start operating. Okay, soon, like anytime soon. And uh, as we see, we're in 2022 and the interconnector is still not working. And judging by the you know, the kind of the Bulgarian uh, way of, of, of sort of getting things done politically combined with the Greek way of getting things done politically, it's, you know, I don't, I don't see it really uh, happening in, in, in any foreseeable, in any foreseeable future. And meanwhile, Bulgaria's gas transportation system has no access really you know, to alternative gas sources because of the lack of that interconnector. And the underground storages are only 17.1% full. So that's about Wonderful. it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Like the Polish, they at least have 76% full. You know, they, they at least have that. So perhaps they are able to survive the winter and wait until something happens. Everybody's hoping something to happen at the end of the uh, of the year. And and maybe maybe they will be luckier. But the Bulgarians, I have no... And I, clearly the Bulgarians, they hope they count on the West, like okay, we, we've done what you requested us to do, and you know what the response of the of the left will uh, sorry not of the left, but of the West will be when they come to ask for help when they will actually knock on the door, they're going to get the middle finger. That's what they're going to get. You know, well, that's... I'm pretty sure that will be the case, but you know what other things will happen. I think the most you know dangerous elements of the society, like the ones pro-Russian, whatever sovereignty, pro-sovereignty elements that are so unhinged, but in the other you know direction, 
uh, will actually come to power because uh, this cannot last. This cannot last. I mean, this PR, this hot air that these leaders are projected, this cannot last. It will come a time. I hope. When people will wake up and you will see then that unfortunately, since the left was not able to provide and, and people does not with an alternative, to. It and keeps... does not want to, to provide people with an alternative. And you'll see then, you know, the kind of pro-Russian conservative elements, you know, uh, coming to power. And, and it will not yeah. be. And, and let me, let me... these people, their only platform is anti-gay, anti-feminist. They don't have a real Yeah, platform. of course. They and are let... as inept as this one, but they come with a different flavor, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. They, they do not have a plan. We're going to have the same nonsense is. in place. It's just going to be flavored differently. You're correct. That's exactly. Now it's flavored with... Uh, Pro-Western, simplifying pro-Western. It, yeah. Pro-Western, pro-NATO and stuff. Then we're going to have some something else, some other flavor. I, I think it actually... Uh, you once made this referral to a soup, uh, which is supposed to, to be a, a kind of uh, a metaphor for some political arrangements. Like you have a little bit of this, you have a little bit of that. And, you know, for the time being, it's tasteful. Later on, we're going to change the spices, and it's going to be tasteful to a different set of people and different set of of, of uh, a different mindset, maybe a different collective understanding yes, yes, or misunderstanding yes. of the world. But I want to switch mm-hmm. now to Poland and to discuss because you talked about some major propaganda. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I actually yeah. Arrangement. I I actually want to say that. Uh, uh, you know, in, initially I thought I'm going to elaborate on that, but then you know I looked at the propaganda efforts of the American media, of the other media, you know, uh, e- including you know of the Russian media, and I'm just so tired. But you know, every once in a while, every once in a while, I get, uh, I was going to say upset, but it's not the correct. I just get annoyed, you know, when I come across certain things, and they are really, really, extremely, somehow aggravating. You know, despite the fact that I'm accustomed to nonsensical propaganda, stupid BS being, you know, enforced on us. But this, you know, uh, uh, yesterday, reportedly. Now, look, I don't have a TV set and I haven't had a TV set for like 20 something years now. Uh, So I'm not able to confirm that 100% because I haven't seen that with my own two eyes. But it comes from from places that I trust. Okay, like this piece of news. So reportedly... Uh, reportedly yesterday, April 27th, the American TV station, uh, American TV station for the Polish, okay, so run in Pol- uh, in, in Polish language, is called TVN, and we discussed that TV station uh, because it there was a, a period when it was in conflict with the current Polish government, uh, so reportedly released a footage of people poorly dressed in some something that resembles military uniforms, strangely running around in what appeared to be some kind of uh, abandoned or devastated building and pointing pointing guns in a very inept, uh, clearly uh, they were not trained, in a very inept manner. And it was portrayed, it was discussed to the audience as some sort of Russian army assault in Ukraine, that, you know, the Russian army is so clumsy, they just run around, they don't know how to dress even properly in their uniforms that they are delivered. And it was later discovered to be an old video recording, random video recording of some random people playing paintball. 
Ah, so, here we got you because we had army generals and TV commentators displaying a, a game, a video game, claiming it was footage from Ukraine. Like, why do you have to do this? Like, there, there I'm sure that there are certain things and certain footages that you could use in your propaganda, like in context or out of context, whatever, that are real, that you could base yourself on. Why do you resort to this? I just, you know, you're a media theoretician, like perhaps you can say a, a word about that. Like, why are they doing this? Why are they exposing themselves to this sort of weird, like, are they just being carried, are they getting carried away and don't verify anything that comes their way? Or are they so eager to use anything that comes across, that they come across in order to, to somehow demonize Putin and Russia? What is the reason behind, or maybe just incompetence and, and, and ignorance? Maybe incompetence is, a, uh, you know, I think it's a combination of factors. And the most important one is that you do not survive in a TV station these days unless you are very opportunistic, unless you are extremely competitive, unless you are willing to do anything. And the selection of personnel, you know, is the one enabling this type of very, very, to say the least, controversial behavior on the part of journalists. Because for, I mean, you and me, I don't think we would stand the chance of staying hired for uh, two weeks in an environment like this because mm -hmm. you know we don't buy this we like to do things in a certain manner we like to you know verify information whereas these days all that matters is the bottom line all that matters is that you get the audience hyped up all that matters is that and there is no responsibility and they get away with this no exactly. they get away, they get with, away it. with it because the idea was boy on a number of years ago the debate was that you don't need regulation and you don't need the um, state-owned institutions and publicly owned institution to regulate the media because the public will and once the public sees such things they will no longer uh, look at it and this is simply not true hmm. this is simply not true this is a failure and we have to admit this is a failure and the whole idea that the market would regulate the media is a failure no, the market does not regulate the media. We have actually journalists who went to prison for blackmailing politicians and they are still in prime time invited and people look at them and people follow them. Can you believe that? Oh, I can. And, I can and, 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 you know, this whole idea that you have competing media institutions that are going to be finally sanctioned by the public and they are going to be punished by the public it's complete nonsense. Yeah, it's complete, yeah, it's nonsense. complete nonsense. Anyway, uh, we, we're uh, uh, we're running out of time, so I'm hoping time. I'm hoping here, and I'm making it public in order to slightly intimidate you. <laughs> I'm hoping for uh, for another segment because there's one more question, namely Transnistria, which I really care to discuss with you. Yes, let us and, discuss. And I'd this. like to do that in the next segment. So uh, okay. perhaps we can make it a little shorter than the usual one, which is like around half an hour. But I want to thank all our viewers and listeners and followers and fans and all you know people who have stayed sharp and maintained their critical thinking in those really dark times and and particularly i would say uh well intimidating maybe dangerous even to some extent to people who uh 
who are willing to exercise their critical thinking and who are willing to actually speak out when they encounter nonsense. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for being part of our community. Uh, and see you in the next segment. Please don't forget to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the barricade and support Eastern European independent journalism to the extent, of course, that you feel you uh, can afford. Thanks so much. See you in the next segment. <laughs>